0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk podcast. I am your host Andy Mitz. Today, we get to recap another fun Friday night as the Kansas Jayhawks jumped out to a huge lead and were able to hold on for a 34 to 23 win over the Illinois Fighting Illini. Um, Kansas getting some votes now in the, in both of the major polls. Um, I did actually see, um, uh, some other, some other, uh, media members talking about how they would have had KU in their top 25, but to help me talk about all of that is my more, my Monday co-host and my, uh, deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising, Kyle Davis. Kyle, how you doing today?
1: Uh, I'm trying to hydrate, recover, rest from a long, long weekend of football. Um, but not a bad weekend of football. Just, you know, it's, it's it's week one for the NFL, week two for college. It's still getting my sea legs under me to watch and consume so much in a four-day span, you know.
0: Yeah, the only bad part of the weekend for football-wise was the fact that the Chiefs lost on Thursday. So, But Chris Jones now signing a deal, and that tells you when we're actually recording because that literally just came across the newswire. So hopefully we can have just have lots of great football for – you know, both teams that most people here in the Kansas City area root for. So, all right, let's take a look at this game because there was a whole lot to look at, a whole lot to talk about. What is the biggest thing that jumped out to you when you look back on this KU-Illinois game?
1: Oh, man. Um, There's so many. Obviously, I know we're going to talk about Jalen Daniels. He looked great, arguably, even better. Uh, Though I think if if I'm just one thing that just stood out that was just kind of a wow and um, and there's a million different directions we can go, but let's start with the the defensive front because especially those first couple of possessions of the game, Illinois couldn't establish anything. And I think that really set the momentum for Kansas to then, you know, a couple three and outs, early punts, defense wasn't on the field very long then you let the offense go and establish a lead. And then Illinois is just playing catch up uh, the entire time. And I don't think, you know, I, I know we're starting to kind of get to that point where I saw some quotes from um, from Robinson and others really crediting the, the defensive line and just that the, they were handling double teams and really making it easy for linebackers like Rich Miller to kind of get through their gaps. Um, that was impressive. You know, I, I tweeted it uh, on Friday night, but if you take away that one, 72-yard run by uh, Luke Altmeyer, Then Illinois on the night. Uh, let's see what they run. They they ran for I think it was uh, yeah 67 yards on 27 carries. Uh, if you take away that one run, so like that is a for look the, the deep. We kn- there's a lot to talk about with the offense, and it's all great. But we all knew that was happening. Defense has been the biggest concern coming into the year, right? That was the thing. Can they get better? Are they going to improve? Can they hold up? And you know, Illinois doesn't have uh, the kind of dynamic runner that it did in the backfield last year, but this is a good team with the mobile quarterback. And you know you take any power five opponent comparable to what you'll see uh, see in the uh, in the big 12, which argue, you know you could argue that Illinois, even just their makeup and kind of their the their kind of powerball in the trenches that Brett Billima likes to play. you hold them to 2.5 yards a carry outside of one play that's that's really good I think that stood out quite a bit in a a game where a lot of things stood out
0: yeah I mean it's it's hard to not be super pleased with the way that the defense played especially when you look at like the offensive line was expected to be the strength of the offense for Illinois coming into the year and yes they struggled a little bit against Toledo um, but I don't I don't think that that was like a big enough deal being made out of that one, right? Because yes, Kansas, you know they they dominated Missouri State for quite a while on the offensive, or dominated their offensive line for quite a while. But it's not like they, you know, were playing a nobody here in this game. Like Illinois has a good, they're, they're good in the trenches. Um, and not only did the defensive line for the Jayhawks really show up, the offensive line did as well. Like it seemed like Kansas controlled the line of scrimmage for the vast majority of that game. You know, the one exception essentially being when a hole opened up and I think a linebacker cut the wrong way. And Luke Altmeyer got that 72 yard touchdown run. Like that was a miscommunication in the second level. And I think it was a guy missing on his, uh, you know, rush assignment, but like those sorts of things happen. They're not that big of a deal. Like I'm not necessarily that worried about it. So I'm I'm extremely happy with what happened here for the Jayhawks. And I'm super excited to kind of see what this defense is able to do. They're going to have a huge game here against, uh, you know, against Nevada. Like, even with Austin Booker out for, you know, the first quarter, the first half and Kobe Bryant out for the first half. Like, I'm not worried about that because, hey, guess what? Nevada is nowhere near good enough for that to really be a concern.
1: No, and actually, and, you know, obviously you won. Kobe Bryant to to play in this game but also um one of my favorite stories so far this year has been Quentin Lasseter and two interceptions in the first, first two games and just the you know the 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 way that he's come uh, come across and now that you know with with I know that he's he's technically behind Melo Dotson and the depth chart but you know with with no Kobe Bryant in the first half, there'll be some movement around there in the cornerback position, and I just love that he's kind of as a senior getting the chance to really shine. And so, um, I hope against a Nevada team who really struggles on offense that maybe you know maybe we that that Quentin Lassiter story can can keep going one more game or a couple more games because that's a that's been one of the more fun surprises that we've had through two weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to kind of see what Quentin Lassiter is able to do. Um, I mean, Kobe Bryant last year had two big plays in the first, you know, two games and turned that into a very good season. I'm not saying that Quentin Lasseter is going to have, you know, an all big 12 or even a second team, all big 12 kind of year, but to have a guy like that, that can provide those types of quality plays and can do those sorts of things, it's going to be huge for this team across the entire defense. Um, you know, and he's not the only guy, like I talked with, uh, I talked with JB Brown and I talked with Jerome Robinson after the game and both of them were just talking about how, how great it was to have so many different guys that can contribute, can step up in big spots and know that if something happens and they have to come out of the game for, you know, a play or two, someone else is there to step up. Someone else is there and able to do similar sorts of things to what they do. I don't think anybody is going to be as good rushing the passer this year as Austin Booker and Jeremy Robinson. Like I think those two are fantastic pass rushers. Um, you know, I like, Patrick Joyner was a guy that was brought in that's was supposed to be a really good pass rusher as well, and I think he's just a step behind those other two. But that's not really that bad. Like, those are two guys that are doing a really good job getting to the quarterback. And, like, there may potentially be some concern, right? Can they keep this up with teams that go a lot faster, that have more physical offensive lines? But you don't have many that were more physical than Illinois. The question is, can they combine that with some speed? Can they combine that with some, you know, quick um, – You know, like hurry up offense, that sort of thing, because that's where Kansas struggled last year was dealing with big physical guys that also could move very quickly. So we'll have to see how Kansas is done there. But everything you've seen so far tells me that the talent level is higher now on this defense than it has been in a really long time. So I'm super excited to see what the defense can do.
1: Yep, and, and you can tell the the off season just the athleticism, the stamina, and just the speed that right. they're running Everyone's around the ball, faster, like, like a lot faster.
0: Yeah, yeah. like Gildersleeve it talked is. about that at the end of camp about how you know that was one of the main goals was to get guys faster. But I didn't realize it was quite that much. Like you, it it hits different when you see it on the field in an actual game as opposed to seeing it in practice or you know hearing guys talk about it. They looked really really fast and Kansas was able to turn a lot of things that I would have said in the you know the last couple years oh that's a hole the guy's going to hit and all of a sudden it's gone because somebody collapsed on it those are things that we don't typically see um you know it's it's been weird to not have Kenny Logan make any gigantic plays on the defense because there's so many other guys that are getting there faster that it hasn't needed to go to that second level or to that third level of the defense like that's the biggest thing to me is that our safeties are not making the plays that we're used to seeing our safeties make because hey, guess what? The ball doesn't get to them with the opportunity to make those types of plays. They're coming in to help clean stuff up because it's been stopped sooner.
1: Yeah, for sure. And even guys like you know DJ Withers who may not have all show up on the stat line, but they're they're causing issues up front. And and even if it doesn't result in ultimately getting the tackle whether it's, it's hurrying the quarterback or clogging running lanes. Like, it, it's all – you can see it. That's the eye test. Like, you, it, it's, it's a drastic and vast difference from where we were a year ago. At least two games. And that's, that's the kind of qualifier you have to give. It's two games then, right? But two games in, and one of them being against a power five opponent who you can actually chalk up as, you know, a good measuring stick. And they don't look like they, – they look like they belong on that field.
0: Yeah, the other thing that's different this year than last year, last year they went out to West Virginia and immediately got down very early and had to fight their way back. And while I believe that this is a team that can do that, it's nice to see that they don't have to do that, that this is a team, I think, that can play well enough on both offense and defense early in the game that we're not dealing with, oh, well, can they come back by halftime? Can they, you know, get it close by halftime? Can we, can we get... You know, Can we rely on the fact that this is a second-half team to bring us back from you know, a a difficult deficit? Jalen Daniels is so explosive, and the rest of this offense is so explosive. The defense has matched that in terms of explosiveness. And I think that's the biggest thing, is that there's, there's just explosiveness all across the field for this team. And does it mean that they're going to compete for the Big 12? Does it mean that they're going to be significantly better than last year? I think it could mean that. I don't think it necessarily automatically means that but there's at least the potential now that you look at this defense and say this is a defense that could take a step and jump 40 spots in in the rankings you know this is a defense that could get a critical stop against an Oklahoma team you know that is driving and and avoid the whole you know fumble forward position that they were in two years ago in Lawrence like this is a team that could actually go down to Austin and potentially play like they belong and deserve to win the game rather than it looking like Texas threw it away against the Jayhawks like this is this is a team that I look at them I look at what the defense does and I see the building blocks that they were talking about I actually see that happening now as opposed to just thinking that it's possible
1: yeah maybe this is the transition to the to the offense but the one thing that we saw over over and over again where the slow starts and that's what talked about like you know so many times KU got off to slow starts and they and they had to play catch up and come back and you knew that it's Kind of playing with fire too, in a bit. And and when I mentioned, you know, the defense was a big part of it, but also, you know, that first drive by the offense after the stop and the punt was a ten-play, eighty-two-yard touchdown drive uh, where Daniels, you know, finds Torrey Lachlan. That that was something that I think fans have desperately been clamming for. Is like let's not wait till the second quarter when we're down fourteen to seven to really start kicking into the gear. Like, can we put the foot? to the to the metal right out out of the bat. And I think that's what you saw. Um, you know, Daniels came out and it wasn't just the 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 miraculous plays and the the big runs and the kind of scrambling, avoiding defenders and finding Luke Grimm down the field. It was just the fact that they put together really solid, like demoralizing drives if you're an opposing defense. Like there's multiple 10 play, 80 yard drives, eight play, seventy two yard drives, like you look at those, and those were just methodically executed, just we're going to exert our offensive will. And I think that has to be one of the brighter signs uh, for fans reacting on a Monday is that this didn't, came, this didn't come with 10 minutes to go in the second quarter or in the second half either. Like this was right off the bat, first drive of the game.
0: The other thing that was different that I really enjoyed was the fact that, you know, those offensive drives were all, or for the most part, 80-plus yards. In the first first half. Like, we are so used to seeing a team in Kansas that if they have a long drive, it's 75 yards because the other team kicked off and they got a touchback. And, like, no. Kansas was getting pinned down inside of their 20 because they were forcing stops on the other end and Illinois was punting. I mean, first four drives of the game, right? Kansas goes down, 10 plays, 82 yards, touchdown. Second drive, 13 plays, 85 yards, touchdown. Third drive was a three and out where they punted after, I believe there was a penalty. Uh, No, it was just, unfortunately, uh, Jalen Daniels got sacked. That's right, on on second down. One of the few breakdowns from the offensive line, and they had to punt it away. But then the third drive, I'm sorry, the fourth drive, 11 plays, 94 yards, and a touchdown. Like, they're having extremely long uh, drives, extremely long plays that are happening and of course, you know. Then you talk about the four play, seventy five yards for a touchdown in thirty six seconds to end the half. Like we saw explosiveness. And from you need offense. to be able to do both. Yeah, right. Like they've been able to show that methodical drive down the field. You know, eat up a bunch of clock, do what you need to do, and end it with a touchdown. Or and they've also now shown the ability as well to continue with those quick strikes. You know, offensively. I am still worried about fumbles. Like, that's something I think I'm going to worry about all year long because they had a problem with it last year, and it doesn't appear to be significantly better this year so far. But if that's the only thing that you're concerned about is, like, a fumble every, I don't know, nine or ten drives, like, I could live with that if you're going to be scoring touchdowns on seven of those ten drives.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's always going to be – which, you know, Illinois is one of those teams where they're they're going to come right at you and they're going to be physical and they're going to go for the ball on defense. But, yeah, I think um, that's where, you know, your offense, you, you, when you're as dynamic as Kansas, you know and you assume that you can kind of make up for it, but that's where also the defense um, needs to be able to to step up and hold their own and, and also win the turnover game themselves, which they did a good job of, you know, two interceptions of, of Altmaier. Um, you know, you can't just, the problem was, is that Kansas would turn it over. Or the fumbles would always happen. It seems like early in the drive, deep in their own territory. And then you give up, you know, easy points there. And then your defense, then you're, you're just, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball there. And that, that is still worrisome to an extent, but also, you know, fumble bounces are one of those complete luck parts of the game where you're going to go through stretches, where you're going to land on a bunch of them. You might lose some of them. So, um if if every other aspect of your offense is buttoned up and you're not you know the thing that we know from Kansas so far from two two games they're not going to shoot themselves in the foot with a bunch of penalties they're not going to throw a ton of interceptions they have you know very uh high IQ quarterbacks so if if you're only if your only kind of downfall as an offense is that you know you might you might lose the occasional fumble in there which hopefully you recover maybe you don't the you know, the bounces are weird, then you kind of live with that. Obviously you try to shore it up as much as you can, but there's always going to be something. And if that's, if that's your only issue or by far your biggest issue, then, then you're doing all right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it also helps that like normally, you know, those, uh, those turnovers and even against Missouri state, like the turnover immediately turned into then points for the other team. This one, they fumbled it and immediately came back and got an interception on the next drive. Five plays, five plays later. The defense being able to step up and getting the ball back to them after they turned the ball over, I think was huge. It killed any momentum that Illinois had at that point. Um, You know, Illinois was feeling pretty good about themselves because they held KU to a field goal in the first drive of the second half. Then after the defense stopped them on downs, they got that fumble and then interception. At that point, then Kansas goes down and gets a field goal. And, like, it's, you know, it it, it kept Illinois from feeling like they were making a huge, uh, like, snowballing plays and really kind of building any momentum. And ultimately they were able to kind of come back somewhat and world, we'll, and we'll talk about, you know, I think the big culprit there here in just a minute. I've got a little bit of a rant I want to go on, but this is uh you know, this is, this is a much different team than what we saw last year in terms of how they manage games and how they're able to build that momentum and keep the other team from being able to take advantage.
1: Uh, can I also say before your rant that it is, it's really nice to, I know again it's early, but to have a, a kicker who can have a perfect night and hit from 41, and you actually feel confident that that's going to happen, uh, you know, Seth Keller, I'm like knock on I'm knocking on wood now, so I don't jinx anything, but like that that's an area where, and honestly, you could just say special teams as a whole. Now we haven't seen. Uh, much of Ku from a punting perspective because the offense is so good. That's that's what you want. I know Leipold said that uh, before the Missouri State game. That I don't think they. I don't think Ku punted a single time against Missouri State. It means like, if there's one player you want to hope never see the field, it's the punter. And we haven't. But like the overall the kicking aspect and some of the other special teams uh, areas is when we're talking about big improvements. I think you chalk up the defense athleticism and then you chalk up the kicking game as two of them that have to be at the very, uh, front. So that just, it's, it's a nice when everything else is so stressful about a football game, knowing that you have confidence that your kicker can make it from 40 yards and be consistent with their extra points. Um, as we know, Iowa state fans know is very important that, uh, that's just is a huge relief.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's great to have a special teams unit that is as effective as they were. Um, it was pretty close to being a perfect, you know, a perfect night for them. Um, Which reminds me, well, I should say, you know, moves us easily into sponsoring on the podcast, Charlie Hustle. Uh, The Charlie Hustle Clothing Company is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. They want you to be the best dressed fan this season, and so make sure you go and check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. They have a ton of Kansas stuff Honestly, I think Kansas is probably one of the biggest collections that they have. And they've got a ton of great stuff. Jalen Daniels, they've got like four different football shirts. They've got just a ton of basketball stuff. And they've got combinations of logos and messages that I can't find anywhere else that I really love. I They have plenty of Angry Jayhawk, which I am super happy about. But if you go over to CharlieHustle.com, use promo code 101215. That's the word T E N. The number is one, two, one, five. You can get 15% off of all non-sale items across the entire website. That's not first time. That's not, you know, you can use this code whenever you go shop there. As long as the item's not on sale, you're going to save 15% off with that code. So you, you can come help support us at the, at the 1012 Podcast Network and, of course, Charlie Hustle by going and picking from one of the 30 different schools that they have Um, they can cover all of the collegiate apparel needs that you have for both you and everybody in your family. So again, head on over to charliehustle.com, use promo code TEN1215 to get 15% off of all of those non-sale items. All right, Kyle, I am going to go ahead and get into my rant, but I figured I probably should save it for after the break so that everybody can mentally prepare for it. So we will be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. And we're back. I am here with Kyle Davis. We are recapping the kansas illinois game that uh while the outcome was great it was exactly what you were hoping for as a kansas fan some of the way that we got there was not great specifically i'm talking about officiating um look i i love to rip on the officials because they do make some bad calls and in general i would say that they probably do a pretty good job unfortunately there were two pretty bad calls well there's more than two pretty bad calls. But the one that really jumps out is the Austin Booker targeting call on that two-point conversion after Luke Altmaier ran for 72 yards down the field. Um, I said this live, and I'm going to say it again here. In no way should you ever be able to get called for targeting when you put a shoulder into somebody's gut. Like, yes, I understand his head was down. He did not make contact with his head. He made contact with his shoulder. That was a good form tackle. Only thing that you want is you want his head to be slightly up so he can make sure that he sees where he's making contact. But that is as clean of a hit as you can get with it being a big hit. There was no contact to Luke Altmaier's head. There was no contact to his shoulders. There was nothing. So for that to not like, and I could have understood if it was, you know, targeting called on the field because somebody thought they saw something and they went and rules lawyered it. And, you know, by the letter of the law, that's what it needs to be. It's like, no, no, Nobody thought there was a problem until the replay official decided, hey, I'm going to go take a look at this. And it's just, it was probably the worst targeting call that I have ever seen. The one against Kobe Bryant, I understand that there are some people upset about that. But you look at that one, there was contact with the head neck area. He didn't really launch, but he used his helmet and his shoulder. It's like he probably was going to put a shoulder into the guy's chest if he didn't dip down. Those are kind of just the ones you ha- you have to live with. I'm okay with the Kobe Bryant one. I don't like the fact that he's you know, suspended. And, and that's a completely different discussion talking about how it's kind of ridiculous that we suspend people outside of the game that they're playing in for something that happened, especially when it's unfortunate like that. Um, but that one I understand. But Austin Booker, like, the only way that they could stop Austin Booker from wreaking havoc in the backfield was ejecting him from the game.
1: And especially, you know, there's – I get you're protecting the quarterback, but it's like you you teach them you can't go high, you can't go low because you can't go at the knees. You basically have a, you know, two-foot radius in the middle of his chest and torso that you can aim at because everything else is automatically just going to be a flag, and I get that. You're trying to protect him when he's – pseudo defenseless but that's where i don't get it because austin booker hit him and literally the only legal place where you're allowed to hit the quarterback it wasn't late it was completely within the motion of of the pass. and like you said it, it was a shoulder so like i i understand if you're really trying to crack down on on you know i know there was a time a couple well probably now closer to 10 years ago where where these you know, diving at the knees was a really big problem uh, with defenders and, and kind of rolling up on the knees. I get that the, the helmet, the helmet, and the crown is a problem. But this is like, it, I guess you just have to ask yourself, what else could he physically have done in that situation when you consider a large man running very fast, you know, at, at a target? Because you can't just, what do you, like, eventually you're just going to give them the red shirts and just say, hey, you can't you can't touch him because otherwise how is he supposed to, you know, I think, I, I think how he handled that tackle is about as well as you can expect to saying you're in a full speed motion in the middle of a huge, uh, uh, huge play of the game, like circumstance wise, you know, you're, you're trying to get there as fast as you can because you don't want to hit him late. And, you know, it's just one of those things where uh, I guess common sense, like what else are you supposed to do? to do there. I get, I understand from like the, the letter of the law that yes, you, you know, could, you, you, I guess he, he should have turned his shoulder maybe 10 degrees more. No, but it's
0: funny because it, like I heard someone talking about it and they're like, all he had to do was lift his head like five degrees. It's like, so, so you're telling me the difference between, and, and obviously this, you know, podcasting is a visual medium and everyone can hear, can, can see what I'm doing here, but literally like head straight up and down like this. You tilt it back just the tiniest bit that you can barely see, and somehow that makes it not targeting when the first one was. Like I'm sorry, but he did not make contact with the crown of his helmet. He did not do like he didn't do any of those things so other than the fact that he wasn't looking at the guy's, you know, stomach when he ran into it. That's like, that's the only problem. That's why it's targeting. I, I, I hate the targeting rule. I've complained about the targeting rule for quite a while. It's like, I understand what the intent behind it was, but they can't be consistent with it. And I mean, I'd be fine with there being a targeting penalty that doesn't penalize guys or, well, I think the biggest problem for me was just the fact that, you know, from what it, it sounds like his, um, you know, it sounds like it was just summarily dismissed that he, that they went ahead and appealed it for both of them. And from what I understand within five minutes, they had a response that no, it's just denied, which I don't know what the process is. I don't know if they had to go through like big 10 officials and they had to be the ones. I, to I do believe it. they
1: had to go through or they had to go through the big 12 to didn't go to the big 10. It was yeah, some it was weird convoluted thing. and
0: really stupid. And I just, unfortunately it's one of those things that's going to happen, but it happens way too often where a guy and, and look, it's not a unique thing to Kansas. There are plenty of other, schools that had guys that were ejected unfairly and that are going to have to sit out unfairly. But that doesn't mean that it's not a problem. You know, I have an article going up on Blue Wings Rising. Actually, it should be up by the time you guys listen to this, talking about how that is a big issue. Like everyone talks about how conference realignment killing college football, you know, uh, like a lot of these different things are killing college football. But what we don't talk about nearly enough is the fact that the officiating and the inconsistencies in the officiating are making it really hard to get super invested in a lot of these things because you never know, like, you know, the pass interference call that didn't get called against, against Utah in the Baylor, Utah game, like those sorts of things ruin games and make it impossible to be happy with the outcome. You know, unless you're, you're one of those guys that likes to root for winning on a technicality because somebody screwed up.
1: Yeah. Well, and yeah. I, and so I get, it's one of those things where it just, it might've gone a little bit too far here. Cause so I get the, I get the crown of the helmet, the helmet, the helmet, you got to stop that. I get the not going at the knees. You have to try and prevent that. That that can lead to some serious injuries. But when you're, when, when you're getting to the point where it's like, Hey, you know, six 280 pound guy running at full speed, just think to lift your head five degrees. It's like no one's thinking, about that as they're going in to hit somebody like oh wait i gotta tilt my head to make sure five degrees there there it seems like we've just kind of maybe gone too far in the other direction and the other part of it which is less of the storyline here but um as someone we were both in attendance and there at the, at, at the booth live the second half was just a terrible experience from like it, it dragged on like the first half there was such a good pace it was it was just like everything was enjoyable and then you had the reviews, coupled with the you know three minute TV timeouts and the injuries and just everything else, like it, that second half dragged on, and it was, again, yeah. now I'm not I'm not saying that that we should allow illegal hits and dirty hits and stuff like that just for the fans to have better pace, but it's it was just one of those things where the the reviews plus the everything else just made for a really. Uh, just it it took the it took the flow completely out of the game uh it just was you know you could just tell it just the the atmosphere didn't really have the the same fact now everyone was quite mad in the stadium including Lance Leipold but uh it's just one of those things where it you know that what at some point you have to ask what else is he supposed to do in that situation and if the answer is well, tilt your head three degrees as you're, as you're running in this direction at this speed, carrying this much weight at somebody. Like, that's, you know, that was not malicious. That was not dangerous in the fact that no more than any other football play is dangerous. Uh, you know, that was not a helmet-to-helmet defenseless receiver or anything like that. And so if, if your only argument there is that he, you know, should have moved two degrees to the left and he would have been fine. And like, do we really need to stop the game for 10 minutes and completely ruin the whole flow of it for that when he did everything else correct? That's, you know, that's like saying you're, you got a, you got a 96% on the test, but because of that lux 4%, uh, you're not going to graduate. Actually, you're staying back here. Like, it's just, it's, you know, that's not a great analogy, but you know what I'm
0: saying? Yeah. Well, I, I was just finding it funny that every single time, like we threw a number out there, the degrees were getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So, Listen, but, it was 0. 0.025 degrees. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Exactly. It was like it was like a minuscule amount. But no, I mean, there was tons of really bad calls. Um like yes, talking about the the pacing of the game, it really ground to a halt with all the reviews. And then they still didn't even get the calls right. Like, you know, there was issues on some of the two-point conversions. Um Shaw like they did a review for Hi-Shaw, uh getting to the first down and they didn't give it to him even though it looked pretty clear that he was he was there or at least like an inch away as opposed to the two yards that they put him back. Like I just, there was so much bad officiating in that game that I'm glad Kansas still won, but I'd be calling out the bad officiating regardless, like whether they won or not, whether it would benefited KU or not. Um, it's just, it's getting ridiculous. It's making it really hard to watch a lot of these games. And I'm just glad that it is not likely that officiating is going to be deciding this game coming up on Saturday. We finally get a Saturday game for Nevada or uh, against Nevada. Um, Yes, it's not at home. So unfortunately I won't be able to be there, but I I can't make an impromptu trip out to to Nevada to cover the team, unfortunately. But this is not a game that I'm that worried about. Like having Kobe Bryant and having Austin Booker out for the first half of this game, Kansas should be just fine. In fact, the game opened up uh, Kansas favored by 24 points and that has since risen to 28 points last I saw. Um, I'm not necessarily worried about anything for this week. Looking forward to the BYU game in two weeks because this is one that I feel like fans can afford to look past in this Nevada game. But um, general overall thoughts, kind of anything to wrap up the the Illinois game, or do we want to start talking about Nevada? Uh,
1: you know, the only other thing I'll say the Illinois game, kind of because you mentioned it with BYU, is that, Again, it was a really strong crowd uh, for for the booth. I know it wasn't a sellout. And this is one of those things where it's like, you know, I think there's some been, I've seen some back and forth. I'm like, oh, fans aren't stepping up, that sort of thing. The Friday nights just make it really tough. I mean, like this was a 6.30 start on a Friday night. You have so many people with high school football obligations, like even just me going to the game uh, and taking my kids. It's like I'm trying to wrap up work stuff up, and then I have to, get there to try and park, you know, an hour and a half early and and do all the stuff, which was great. It was fantastic. And the energy in there was great. The student section was uh, fantastic. They were all decked out in their black. Like they were loud and in presence there, uh, especially on some of those big plays. I I don't know how well it came across on the TV, but like it was a good energetic crowd. But it's it's one of those things, too, where it's just like I, I think the BYU game, will be kind of the testament to when we're talking about buy-in and stuff. It's just these Friday night games are tough, especially when it's a 6.30 start. Like, it's early. There's a lot of obligations. Now with BYU, you've got 2.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday. Uh, it's on ESPN. It's a conference opponent. Like, that's one where I would imagine – I would be guessing this one's probably a sellout, especially if they're coming in at 3-0 and you maybe you're ranked, that sort of thing. But I would say, like, I, it's still been – you know and there's a lot of speculation of okay what what's the fan support going to be like you know are people going to you know are are they hashtag packing the booth and i would say for having friday night games with so many conflicting things with a uh, labor day and week one and then and then friday you know high school football and everything here i thought the crowds have been really good i think they've been really energetic it's been very much a uh, like it's very much a home atmosphere, an advantage for Kansas. Like there was, there were a decent amount of Illinois fans too, uh, and they were all around the tailgates and everything ahead of time. But once you got into the stadium, I mean, now granted, in the first half they didn't really have much to cheer for, but like they were very much drowned out by everyone else. And so uh, I, I think that's been interesting. The qu- kind of whole fan, I, I don't know, debate, or maybe it's just kind of like the the perception of buy-in has been interesting because you know, yes, it would be great if they sold out that game, but also given all of the other factors, I still thought it was a really good crowd. And I'm interested to see what it looks like in two weeks against BYU the next time, next time that they're at home.
0: Yeah. I think you might have some room for criticism if it's not sold out against BYU, just because of that, you know, because it's a national opponent, BYU is a, is a fairly big brand anyway. And especially if, you know, if BYU goes and beats Arkansas, then there's no reason that shouldn't be a sellout. Now, granted, I think there's going to be a decent number of BYU fans in the stands. I know plenty of BYU fans that live in the area that are going to be there. Um, but, like, this is, this is a game they have coming up here to keep the excitement up because Kansas should win this one big. And then you host BYU in their first ever Big 12 conference game. Like, that is something to be excited for. That's something to be in the stadium for. It's not going to be a college game day moment because I'm sorry, I don't believe that college game day is going to come to Kansas BYU unless both of those teams win by like 50 this week. Um, And even then, like you're going up against like an Alabama Ole Miss game that is probably going to get a lot more attention. But Kansas, I think, has an opportunity here to really get the momentum rolling, to really find themselves in a position where the fans are going to be coming because it's fun to be there and not just because they're hoping that the team's finally going to get it turned around. Um, all right. Rather than dive in too deep into Nevada, um, because I'm going to be honest, it feels like a lot of wasted effort to me. Um, I'm having a hard time even finding a guest to come on to talk about Nevada, so we are I've got something else planned for the second episode of this week. I think you guys will enjoy it. But um, what do you need to see from Kansas in this game against Nevada? Is there a specific like start that they need to have, or you need to see a specific winning margin? Like, What is it that you would consider to be successful going up against Nevada in Reno?
1: Yeah, I think this one needs to be a no doubter from start to finish. And so for, for those listening, the reason why we're saying that it's hard to put a lot of stock in this is because Nevada is 0-2. They have scored 20 points on the season, and they have given up 99. So it's not a great uh, points forward to points against ratio there. Uh, now, granted, the first game was against USC – they lost sixty-six to fourteen, uh, and actually, it's weird looking at that game because they scored on their first possession of the game, and it was because they they com- completed a seventy-three yard pass, and then they didn't score again until it was fifty-two to seven, and then they got into the end zone with a lot of USC's kind of backups and, and others in there, and then they go up against Idaho, um, and they you know lose thirty-three to six, and the the defense is. Um, a problem right now, you could say for the Wolfpack, uh, they're, they're giving up 383 passing yards and 182 rushing yards a game, which means that Daniels and Neil and Hyshaw should all feast for about two and a half, three quarters. And then I think, you know, you say, what do you want to see? I want to see Jason Bean and Savion Morrison, um, and Dylan McDuffie playing in the fourth quarter, because Kansas is up by 30, and you, you can give Jalen Daniels some extra rest on his back, and the defense is uh, exerting its will. I mean, this team can't run the ball very well, so you better not be able to get – they're only averaging 83 yards uh, on the ground per game so far. That's, I think, what you got to see. I think you want to see – if I want to sum this up in a word, what do you want to see out of this game? I want to see backups because I want to see it taking care of business for for two and a half, three quarters – then I want to see Jason Bedine and, and Dylan McDuffie and some of the other guys in there. I want to see you know, 15 yard uh, hook rods to Jace, Jared Casey, uh, just everything, whatever you got, um, because this game is is tied up, and not just because I'm afraid I'm going to be asleep before the end of the game because this is a 9:30 Central Time start on Saturday night. So you know, if that would be even better if I can get uh, everything written by like the, the time the game ends at yeah, exactly. 12:30 uh, and and. <laughs> Pray for no um, targeting calls that are going to delay it even further. But yeah, that's what you want from Nevada. Nevada has had a lot of issues. They had some weird coaching s- switches and different things happening. Like right before the season started, they're ha- they're playing two different quarterbacks, um, and you know neither of them have been that successful. So yeah, that you just you want to see a team not take their foot off the gas and just take care of business. Cause you could call this, a, I guess this would quantify as a trap game. Uh, if you wanted it to, you just got done with Illinois. You've got BYU on national TV coming up in a week. You're going to face 0 uh, and 2 Nevada on the road for the first time. Like just take care of business. This, this is one where we'll see kind of the mindset and, and, you know, I, I've seen several times how, Live pulled on the team and talked about Jalen Daniels has said this a lot. Yeah, we're two and oh, but we take every game like we're it's we're zero zero. This is where you'll really find out if that is true. Like if, yeah. if they really go into Nevada and not let their guard down and take care of business and, and not look ahead to BYU, then yes, that is very much true. So I think that's what I'm wanting to see out of this game. Yeah. And-, for, uh, uh, and hopefully I stay awake.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would like to be able to see the end of the game, which means it has to be moving fairly quickly, I think. Um, because it is kind of rough trying to, to you know, go back late. Um, but it is the new reality, right, for Kansas, for all of Big Twelve, because we're going to have Big Twelve after dark. when uh, you know, starting next year, when all of those West Coast teams or, I should say, Mountain Time teams come in. But to kind of, you know, kind of wrap everything up that you said in in a little bit of a different bow, uh, Kansas. If you go over to the F to the SP Plus ratings over on uh, ESPN. Done by Bill Connolly. I love the the ratings that he does. He's usually pretty good with you know, it being predictive and stuff. Kansas is 49th, which honestly I think is a little bit low, but regardless, um, Nevada, 130th out of 133 schools. Nevada's terrible. Um, the only three teams that are worse than them are UMass, Arkansas State, and Kent State. That's it. Uh, you know They're worse than UConn, and UConn has looked horrid in their two games. Like, this is not a team that has any business sticking with Kansas. There was some news coming out of Leipold's presser that Jalen Daniels did not practice on Sunday. Um, You know, that Jason Bean took all the reps. I I, I don't know. This is one of those games where I almost treat it like it's the Missouri State game, where if we see Jalen Daniels awesome, if we don't, I'm not necessarily that worried because you're giving him a bunch of rest before the BYU game and then Texas after that. I get the feeling that this is probably going to be more like what I expected in the Missouri State game, where Jalen Daniels is going to come in early enough. They're going to get out to a 21 nothing lead, and then Jalen Daniels is going to hit the bench for the rest of the game. Then you're going to see Jason Bean. What I want to see, I want to see Cole Ballard. I want to see him have an entire quarter to just run the offense because, hey, guess what? Kansas is up sixty, you know, 63-3, to 3, and Cole Ballard comes in and tries to push them towards 100 because... Let me tell you, they, they could do that. Like they have good enough running backs. They have good enough wide receivers that they could score a lot and they could score a lot quickly. So
1: if you're and if you're in the locker room, yeah. so this is a little bit of a trivia uh, for you. Do you know how many days it's been since Nevada football team recorded a win?
0: No, I do not
1: at all. Uh, it has been by, by the time well, I'll say this, by the time they play, they, by the time they kick off on September 16th of this year, uh, it will have been 378 days since Nevada last recorded a win. So it was September third, 2022. They beat Texas State 38 to 14, and that was the last time. So um, if you're if you're in the if you're a, a member of the coaching staff in that locker room, your message is hey, they better still be without a win at, at 379 days and 380 days and 381 because you don't want to be the team that breaks that streak i believe they've lost 12 in a row now i'm yep. doing my math right from last year so, so yeah you this is one of those things where it's you know you you just need to take care of business and uh not mess around and just get out of there healthy number one one or actually well with a win number one healthy number two and yeah hopefully with some rest and with some being able to maybe evaluate your younger guys a little bit more because i'm with you i'd love to see uh, some Cole Ballard uh, in, in garbage time that might keep me awake for this one.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think that's going to go ahead and do it. Um, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already please to go out wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out. No, not Stitcher. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all of the other apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe. Get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the Ten Twelve Podcast Network, covering all fourteen teams in the Big Twelve Conference, and maybe a little bit of the new ones that are coming in next next year. Uh, you can find links to all the great shows that we have over on the Sports Social, uh, uh, sorry, over on the sports the Sports Social Network as well by going to Ten Twelve networkcom Get links to all those great shows. Make sure you visit our sponsors, Prize Picks, and Charlie Hustle. Uh, but that is going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.